What's up? What's up, bitches? We have such a fun episode because I'm not leaving you hanging. When we said that we were going to come back and do a part two, we meant it. So back with me today is Elena Hester from Tell Me Lies and Dope Sick. Hi. I'm glad to be back again. Yeah, I can't believe that we both like had the time to do this and that it worked out so well. And like I said in the prior episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. But essentially, there was too much good stuff left to get into that we hadn't gotten into yet. And I just wanted to make sure we save time for that. Cool. And also, whenever I get like the opportunity to have someone's ear more than once, I feel like I walk away almost like with a friend. Like I feel like I know you. So that's like super nice that I get to do that with you. Yeah, I love that. You're so fun. This is so fun. Let's do it. Good. So we have the the energy going. So in our last episode, we ended talking a little bit about how, like, how big of an honor it was, obviously, to work alongside Katie Seagal in Tell Me Lies. And then you worked with Michael Keaton in completely opposite roles for Dope Sick. So, like, what is it like to work alongside someone like Michael Keaton in Dope Sick? Um who basically has the ability to play a part that well. Um, it was, it was phenomenal. Like, first of all, uh, Danny Strong, our, our showrunner on Dope Sick, he, um, he really took a chance on me. Like, because at that point I was not known in the industry. Like, I had not had a name like I, I worked really hard, but I was not known. I hadn't really done anything. And so he like he took a huge risk by hiring me when he could have easily hired someone with with a bigger name. But um, I am just so I'm so grateful that he trusted me with the like the responsibility that not only comes along with with telling that intense of a story and that important of a story but also trusted me to do that with Michael Keaton like that was that was such a big honor to me not only that I got to work with him but that they trusted me to to do that even though you know I I hadn't really had a name in the industry prior and for people who aren't familiar, let's just give them a brief background without sort of spoiling the series as to like, how would you describe Dope Sick to people who haven't seen it? Um, so Dope Sick depicts the opioid crisis and the corruption in the marketing and distribution of Oxycontin by the Sackler family. And um, I, I play, it's essentially a story of the, the, the sort of corporate side of it and the, the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma and uh, the, the corruption there and just really diving inside the minds of, of the villains and, and pinpointing the start of the problem and um, then showing the effects in the smaller towns of of more rural country areas where they were specifically targeting doctors and and patients that would uh that would 
take the medication, get addicted, distribute it to their friends, you know, like all, they specifically targeted certain areas that they knew it would do well in and then gave false information like going up to a higher dose would not, um, would not cause withdrawals if you were to come off of it and it wouldn't be bad for you. It's not addicting. It's, it's not addictive and, um, basically just showing that side of the, the people in charge and then showing the complete opposite side of the people that that affected and portraying a story. The, the corporate people, like, were, they were portraying real corporate people, but as far as uh, my character and the people that were affected by that, uh, in the in the smaller rural towns, um, we're playing fictional characters, but the story underneath it is is very real. So, my character um, is Elizabeth Ann. She's a small town, fourteen year old innocent girl with pigtails. The first time you see her, she's crying to Michael's um, character, Doctor Phoenix, about why she can't get her period yet. And then you cut to a scene later in the episode where it's just, she's like 21 at that point or 20, something like that. She's strung out, passed out in a car, prostituting herself, basically. Right. So the, the stark contrast of, um, of that was sort of to, like, the beginning goal was to get people hooked to her and, and sort of, like, fall in love with this is innocent little girl and then be like shocked by this crazy way that she ended up and then like be like how did she get there and so like she started off she started off young innocent and then throughout the series we sort of see her progression and her downfall um her getting addicted to oxycontin and then that leading her into heroin and homelessness and prostitution and and then watching her go through rehab and and you know michael's character dr phoenix their relationship and and how he feels sort of responsible for her going down this path and then his trying to help her get out of it it was a really really heartbreaking story but it was so I think the the writing and the production, everything about it was very powerful. It was such a moving series. I didn't understand how things escalated the way they did with opioids. Um, you know, like I, I'm older than you. So in my high school, I have heard of people getting addicted to Oxycontin and stuff before. Mm -hmm. So kind of listening to how that happened and uncovering the involvement that like big companies have was very eye-opening and I especially felt for the doctor in the series because truthfully like he was at fault you know what I mean yeah. like it sucks that he was the hand that gave them that or you know for some of the people in the show um, and then you have to come to terms with I didn't know what I was doing or the magnitude of what this could end up in did right. you know anything about this opioid crisis prior to getting like cast on the show yeah so i i didn't know the full extent of it and i don't think any of us did like right. even michael <clears throat> michael and i both sort of discovering together just how bad it was and the magnitude of this sort of 
corruption. Like we, we knew that this was happening, mm -hmm. but I don't think any of us until we put ourselves in that and had to stay in that for months, yep. none of us truly understood the extent of that. But I, I did grow up in a small town where addiction is prevalent, very prevalent. And, um, a, a few days before my audition for the show, actually, a, a close friend of mine relapsed. Um, and uh, so it was, you know, a very personal story for me because I know so many people that mm -hmm. have, have dealt with that. And my parents also own the pharmacy in our small town. So they've had to deal with the effects of the opioid crisis and of like Purdue Pharma. And my, and my parents have been in whatever way they can, they've, they've been pushing back against that mm -hmm. for, for as long as, as I can remember, you know, they would always talk about it. I just, I didn't realize the full extent of it. And my mom is actually on like the head board of, uh, the opioid crisis commission in our county and yeah. uh so it's it's just like it, it was the perfect sort of fit it was it was a very much a a passion project for me and it comes across that way too when you watch it like it was such a yeah absolutely it was such a heavy series to watch and to get through but i think that for people who are listening and wondering, you know, what is the extent of Purdue Pharma? Not to ruin the series, but giving a breakdown. Essentially, these drugs were given to doctors by tricking them, by essentially taking the doctors out for nice lunches, by paying them a higher salary, by bribing them, and by giving them, you know, fake FDA labels and studies that were skewed to show them that if your patients take this, there's absolutely no way that they will get addicted. And they knew that that research was fake, the, the head of the companies. And I think mm -hmm. that the realization that you can be so evil just for profit was like a huge takeaway of the show. Yes, yes. And I think, uh, I think our, um, our, the, the people that played the, the villains in our story, I think they, I think they did a really, a really great job. Like Michael Stahlberg, who played Richard Sackler, he did, he did a phenomenal job diving inside the mind of, of the Sackler head, the, the head of the Sackler army. Like, Absolutely. I, think he, I think that was, that was a very powerful performance, um, in, in the worst way possible. Agreed. If I hadn't just prior, and you've probably not seen this because you're always so busy, but if I hadn't just prior watched a series that was exploiting companies like McDonald's, Wendy's, and Pizza Hut for mm -hmm. back in the 90s when they used to have this thing happen where this guy was able to call restaurants in small communities where he knew that people were impressionable they responded to authority they respected what they were told to do he would call these industries and he would describe any random girl who worked there and say that she stole something from a patron and he would pose as law enforcement and he would just and he would force the managers verbally to assault assault these women like wow. so so strip searches some men did go so far as to, to perform oral sex on them like they oh my God. so hearing that 
you know, I watched the series about it and you find out at the very end that McDonald's, Wendy's, they had every case logged. They had every single record of employees that it had happened to and it's all um, suppressed to protect your image, you know, so like it, it opened my eyes like right before watching this, like companies are so evil and they really do select such sparse information that gets released to the public just to protect their conscience, their image, um, their liability. So once I watched this series right after, I was like, you know what? The big corporations are actually so scary. Like those yeah. are the scariest individuals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And it's so, it's so scary how they, know what areas to target and they take advantage of it and it works and they see that it works so they keep using that system and it's not all big corporations but i think that there's like i'm so glad that our voices are able to be heard now and we're able to to push back against the ones that we we see are are doing bad no matter how much they try to keep it locked up somebody's going to speak about it Absolutely. And, and if we all join in, they can't, they can't backlash all of us. And, um, I, something that was so incredible for me after dope sick, um, I was invited to give a speech in front of the CDC on behalf of, of dope sick and talk about the importance of our message and talk about the show and my experience on the show. And, um, there was somebody present at this meeting from, every single department of the CDC. Like this was a huge opportunity that made me want to cry, honestly, because I was just like, I, I put all this work into my craft and it's making a difference in the real world right in front of my eyes. Like I, I have an outlet to express my voice and people want to hear my voice. Like it's so, it, it, it was such a crazy moment for me. Okay, Miss Greta Thunberg, you are like, I can't. That is so cool. You're like doing, you're like basically going to Congress. You're so awesome. Like that really is amazing. That makes me want to cry. Like the fact that it was something that start, some people can just play a role and move on. Not every person has such a connection to what they're doing. But the fact that after you took it, you acknowledged and tried to serve a bigger purpose and really talk about it. And like you said, your family like owns like a pharmacy. I mean, this couldn't be more close to like yeah. hitting home for you and like you you truly understand the gravity of what people's lives look like or yeah. your family does too when it, well, it can happen yeah and it was so wild i didn't find out until after i was done with um my meeting that danny strong our showrunner for dope sick was actually speaking in front of congress actually speaking in front of congress on the same day at the same time oh it, my god yeah i found out afterwards and so i i sent him a a link to a, a recording of of the meeting and and i was like Oh my God, like we're, I can't believe we both did this on the same day. Like it's, it's so crazy. Like I just, I've thanked him so many times for giving me, giving me a platform, not only like giving me the opportunity to kickstart my career, but also be a part of, of a movement that has been like our show has gotten a lot of recognition around 
the world. Like, once our show came out, we started seeing the Sackler name being taken down in museums all across the world. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, people protesting and, and using their voices, telling their story, going to Congress, having meetings with the CDC, like all these things that we saw unfold afterwards and then and then also the the recognition for you know the all the work that everybody put into this show everybody put so much work into this show and everybody had such a passion for it so seeing the not only the the material of it making an impact but also just the art of it, the acting, the cinematography, the the writing, the storyline, everything, everything about it pretty much was recognized with, you know, we, we were nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, we were nominated for some Golden Globes, Critics' Choice Awards, SAG Award, like, you know, just all this crazy, crazy stuff that, like, it was so powerful, I think, to all of us because it sh- it showed us that we can make a story that's real and that we're passionate about and it can it can still be appreciated in in the art form as well like it yeah absolutely like this is a reality podcast but I found myself enjoying it you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I think that if it's a message that people need to hear and if it's done well, that when you watch it, you have no choice but to pay attention. And I think that that's exactly how Dope Sick was done. Like, as soon as I started and realized that it was about the Sackler family and, um, like, Purdue Pharma, I was I was locked in because I was just wanting to know, how did it get here? You know, like, how did we get here as a country? Like, how yeah. did it um, become so prevalent? And who started this? And that's kind of what the show gives you. Yeah, and I, I think also, like, what you're saying about being locked in, I think that was our goal with the reason I think that this was not talked about as much before is because it wasn't done in a format that people were interested in. Absolutely. Like, like making this into a series that has a storyline that you can follow and you're invested in and you keep coming back to. It's not just a documentary, you know? Like, I think that was that was such a brilliantly done thing by Danny to create something that people want to keep watching in order to better get, get the message out there. What is it like to work on a show that's this heavy, you know, cause it was heavier than tell me lies. So how do you guys as a cast decompress after, you know, doing a long day of filming? I mean, I, this was one of the most intense roles like mentally and physically like that you you can put yourself in like you i mean that i've put myself in there's you know there's there's a whole spectrum of like dark roles um but this is this is one of the the darkest places that i've had to go to um during my career and um I think all of us just kept the motivation going and lit a fire under each other with the passion that everybody on that set brought to the project. Like everybody had so much energy for this regardless of the material that was being filmed because we all 
knew what the end goal was. We all knew that this was, you know, a, a passion project and, and that kept us going. But um, Elizabeth Ann's story was definitely, it was very real for me because with, with everything that we talked about in the last podcast, uh, when I got sick when I was 15, I was on a lot of painkillers. And um, whenever I had to come off of those, I went through withdrawals. And that was one of the worst feelings ever, like just constant unwavering pain. And that's like a pain that's so hard to describe unless you've been through it. And I, I never really knew how to put it into words, but Elizabeth Ann gave me an outlet to express that without words. Like it mm -hmm. gave me an outlet to express how I felt in a way that can help other people or make other people feel more seen that have also gone through withdrawals or are going through withdrawals right now or are scared of them. Like it gives them, it gives them hope that they can make it out on the other side. And, and that was really powerful in, in not only like helping tell the story, but also helping myself heal in a way, I think, because it's just not many people understand that pain that specific pain and it, it it gave me an outlet to express that which i'm i'm really grateful for and um and you asked how we we sort of decompressed at the end of the day um i mean michael i think michael and i uh, sort of kept each other sane like we uh you know everything everything we filmed together was was very heavy and the, mm -hmm. the relationship was so special but so intense and there was so much like history there for us and and just so much happening underneath the surface for both of our characters and then they they come together and it's this like clash of emotions and like these are you know two people that that have always felt safe with each other even though they're you know very the age difference is vast but they're they feel safe with each other and and they're sort of in this world that's collapsing but they're still trying to help each other or, yes. or be there for each other but um even with with that sort of content like when when the camera was off like like between takes we would just we cut up with each other and, and we, we kept ourselves entertained, but I think we also kept the crew entertained. Like they just like listened to us through our microphones. We'd forget that our mics were on and we'd just be talking <laughs> about something stupid. And, and then every once in a while, one of the crew members would like interject through the walkie talkie, like laughing and we'd be like, Oh, oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that, that, that was, was the comedic relief. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was nice. Like we all had like everybody meshed really well. And so we were, we were able to help each other. Um, with with getting through getting through the day even though it was was very tough um i think the hardest like the toughest thing for me to film was the sequence that starts off episode four where my character watches her best friend die of an overdose mm -hmm. like that was that was such an intense scene slash 
sequence, like a sequence of scenes to film. And, and we filmed those scenes until I think we started at five in the, like five in the afternoon. And then we went all the way through six in the morning. So oh my we, gosh. we were, yeah, no sleep, just straight going at it. And it was like, it was so, it was so intense. Um, and like, that's those are that's the sequence where you see my character's downfall start mm -hmm. that's where like it all started for her so that was a very important sequence but it was it was so heavy and like I'm normally good at you know after the camera's cut I can recover pretty quickly I'm I'm pretty good at being able to bring myself out of it and and stay contained and stuff but like this sequence in particular was so heavy it took it took a while to recover afterwards and and I would honestly just like I I would just have to my crewmates were patient with me while I just like cried or or did whatever I needed to do in order right. to pose myself to keep going and like because it just it was so it was so magnificently done by everyone involved and it felt so real right. like it was it was very real and so like my my castmates that I was working with that night they just like held my shoulder until I was ready to go again and then it's like all right let's do it again roll the cameras you know right. and and it was it was a lot but we we got through it together Especially since prior to this show, you had a friend relapse, you know, it's just a little bit like seeing the situation happen at like the, the worst way possible, like your worst nightmare unfold in front of your eyes. Yeah. Um, so I, I completely get that. And you did mention the fact that, you know, like everything you went through when you were 14 and 15, we haven't even talked about the fact that like after you started to heal from that, which is, you know, the stage that you were at, because to go through withdrawal, that's traumatic in its own way. You know, I, I haven't been through it, but I've heard enough about it to know that if you're able to make it on the other side and not stay addicted to it, um, you know, that that's like a very harrowing experience to have. So after filming, you got sick again. And, you know, we haven't talked about that yet, me and you either. So what happened after Dope Sick? You got some sort of cancer. Yeah, so I actually, I developed it while I was filming. I just didn't know what it was yet. So I, I developed um, thyroid cancer and uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long particularly that I had had it before, but um, while filming dope sick i was i mean i was pretty sick i was i was relatively sick like film like we were filming all that heavy material but then on top of that i was i was physically sick as well and i i didn't know what was wrong with me at that point um i didn't really want to face the fact that i felt out of control of my body again and my health um i didn't like i was on such a massive high filming this show with you know all the people the amazing people that i got to work with and like you know my career is getting started and and i'm just so pumped for that i was like no 
there's nothing's wrong. I'm okay. I'll be fine. I'll go to a little bit of denial. Yeah. And uh, so when I was filming, I mean, like the the I was still in in denial, but the wardrobe team was was having to like strap heating packs to my stomach, like underneath my wardrobe, like like I'd keep it on while filming just to get me through the day and like. I had this like weird texture on my skin that like the makeup team had to cover up and and I'd get weak and dizzy and and you know just like all all this all this stuff that I uh was not not willing to accept was happening and then and then I I'd, I'd go back to the hotel room after I finished uh, filming and and keep in mind we're in quarantine for like the entire series so like I'm I'm not with my family I'm in a hotel room by myself like I am you know they they brought me out to Virginia and they they kept me there in a room and that was just how we had to do it for you know the the sake of the show continuing on so nobody got sick because at that time vaccines weren't readily available like it was just that was right in the heat of COVID so I was also isolated sort trying to deal with this stuff and um so I I would go back to the hotel room and and I'd sit down I'd watch the room spin and I'd call my mom and just cry because <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I don't, I don't want to feel sick right now. Like that's not, right. that's not what I want to happen. And, um, so that was, that was a lot, but I, I didn't see a doctor until I got home. Number one, because I, I didn't want to know what was wrong with me yet. And then number two, because I was scared of like at that time, if you went to a doctor's office, you're putting yourself at risk of getting COVID. Right. Um, and I, I didn't want to put the production at risk. So there was a right. lot of factors going into that, that, that COVID made very difficult. But, um, when I got home, uh, my, my parents were like, you know, we'll, we'll take you to get some tests done. Cause I, I'd never had panic attacks before, like really ever in my life. And then, and then all of a sudden I was having so many of them like I and I didn't know that it was a panic attack because I had never experienced that before and I was just like sitting in my room like talking to someone and then all of a sudden I can't breathe I feel like I'm dying I'm laying in my parents bed not knowing what's happening to me and it just kept happening and I was like I don't know what this is and my mom was like I think you're having a panic attack but like why because like you've never that's, this has never happened to you before. And so we got some tests done, but we thought it was going to be something with an easy fix. You know, like this blood level is off. Your iron's right. too low or something. Like your vitamin B. I don't know. Like we thought it was going to be something like easy to fix. So we got some tests done. And then um, a couple weeks, let's see, it's probably about a month after I got home from filming Dope Sick was when I got the diagnosis. So um, I was just sitting in my room getting ready to, you know, start the day. And I, I had uh, just had a great night talking with my cousins the night before and cutting up. And then I wake up that morning ready to go and, and I'm uh, getting ready, whatever. And then I get a call from the doctor and I've been waiting on the results of, of my biopsy in my neck. Um, but I, you know, the, the chances of it actually being cancer, like 
0.5%, you know? So I like, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but it's very low. And so I was like, I was like, oh, hi. And then, and then they were like, um, so we need to see you in the office today. And, uh, I was like, well, can you like, what were the results of my, like, yeah, like why, like, why do you need to see me? And, uh, she was like, we legally can't tell you until you get here. And I was like, Okay, so um, I called my friend Ashley. I just, I didn't know what to do with myself because my doctor had told me if we call you and we don't tell you the results over the phone, that's telling you what the results are. Right. And so I, I called my parents. I was like, we got to go, we got to go back to Wilmington. And they were both at work, but they dropped everything they were doing. Like, they were like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're coming. Let's go. Let's go to the doctor and just see what they have to say. And like, that was such, that was such a pivotal moment in my mind because I just felt like I have already been through the ringer like this is a kicker man like don't like like really yeah like like i feel like i'm losing control of everything again and my career is just picking up like i just finished filming so i um i mean my thyroid had cancer in both sides it's like a butterfly shape in your neck everybody get your necks checked that's like that's That's like the overall message yeah if you don't know about thyroid cancer just do a quick search do a quick check like keep like keep yourself in check because it is did you you have symptoms like did you have the swelling did you have anything no i just had the physical symptoms and and what's weird is that my doctor's have all told me thyroid cancer doesn't really cause physical symptoms until you like get it like and then you have to deal with the stuff mm-hmm. after and I'm like no no it does it clearly it very clearly and all the other people that have like reached out to me that also have thyroid cancer like we're dealing with that like every single person had almost the exact same symptoms that I had and wow. so I'm like there's a pattern here and even if doctors you know don't want to acknowledge that right now like this is this is very real so i think like a big message is listen to your body Mm -hmm. and if nobody else takes you seriously take yourself seriously and and thankfully i had really really great doctors my endocrinologist dr zizi was great about finding the cancer and you know, recommending the, the right treatments and everything. And, um, he found it in both sides, but, uh, it had also spread around it. So it was, it had gotten to the point where it was in both sides of my thyroid and it had spread to the lymph nodes around it in my neck. And we didn't know where else it could be. So I, um, so I get a surgery done and, uh, they remove my entire thyroid and they remove the lymph nodes around it that they can without like cutting my windpipe. Like they remove whatever lymph nodes oh they gosh, can and yeah. just pray that the rest don't have anything in it. And um, so I had that done and they had to, I think a very, very scary part about this was 
okay, well, number one, the shallow concern, a big old scar on my neck with right. me being on camera. You know, makeup artists cover that up, whatever. It looked a lot worse. It's still. Before, but it's still, you know, it's a lot for a 19-year-old. And it's girl. you, you know, yeah. like self-preservation and vanity, just normal. I don't want to look like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there was the other part, which was they had to dissect around my vocal cords. So if one wow. thing gets nicked, my voice is different. That's my career, you know? Like, it was so terrifying that I literally could not do anything about it. And my entire career felt like it was at stake. And it was like everything, after everything that I went through, this is happening again. And it's happening like, this feels worse. Like, like what, what is this? So I, um, I got the surgery done and then, uh, you know, I don't have a thyroid anymore. So I rely on one little pill every morning to keep me alive, uh, to replicate the function of my thyroid. And, um, I have to take, uh, you know, other medicines that I'll be on for the rest of my life. And, and there are symptoms that linger from that. And absolutely. And even, yeah. Even once you've, you've jumped the biggest hurdle, there's still things that you have to monitor, doctor's visits, certain like blood levels will always be a little wonky and you'll always have to find the balance of leveling those out. And some of those things can get pretty intense. Like my, my calcium levels, if those get too low, I have full body spasms and I feel like I live in an alternate dimension and, and I um, feel like I'm, I'm just very confused. Floaty, like removed from reality. Yeah. And then if my calcium gets too high, I, I end up in the hospital vomiting aggressively until my level goes back down. Like it's just, you know, n neither like that stuff doesn't happen very often, but it's the fear of it happening. That sort right. of is going to linger over me for the rest of the my anxiety life. anxiety of it, because you yeah. don't have anything to regulate your body anymore. It's up to you. Like yeah. that, that puts... You know, in some senses, it gives you control because you are, you know what, you know what you have to do and what you're looking for. In the other sense, you don't have your most basic system regulating for you and there's additional mm -hmm. pressure on you where you can't always know what to do. You know what I mean? Until your level gets too high, you won't know that it's high. Right. And so I have to get frequent blood work, but, um... As far as the calcium levels, those are regulated by the, not to get too technical, but like the parathyroids that are attached to the thyroid. I still have those, but because Good. the thyroid is removed, there's injury to those. And so they don't work as properly. So it's sort of a balance of figuring out when my body wants to work through those and when it doesn't and, and trying to keep my levels balanced. It's just, a, it's just, it's a balance. It's just everything about recovery is a, it's a long process and one that definitely gets easier with time, but it's, it's always it's always there and it's something that you have to just sort of learn to live with and be okay with in a way um and just keep pushing through right. um 
but the interesting thing is I, uh, so as of October 7th of 2021, I am cancer free and I'm still in remission. Um, that was, I believe, four days before our premiere of Dope Sick in Richmond. So that was, that was a wild sort of thing that like I came home from filming I got diagnosed pretty soon after that and then I went through this whole process this whole you know in and out of the hospital treatments whatever and then boom like I'm cancer free okay it's time to like get in a car and like go to another state for a premiere right. of this show my first big show that's like gonna be like all recognized over. right yeah and so it was this this sort of like very um surreal moment that it was happening in such a like time frame that was so specific but it was also like um i don't think i i fully processed the everything that happened to me during the year and so whenever the show came out it sort of that was my that was my distraction for a while and then after that sort of the the busyness surrounding the show sort of died down i i had to deal with more of the mental effects of of the cancer that i still had not fully dealt with and i think it's important to note that that process is is never ending it's you can still enjoy life and be you and do what you want to do and still be healing like right. it's okay to like not be okay that's so cliche but it's like it's really you can you can take the time that you need to heal and not feel guilty about it like right you can, you can yeah you can be like you should allow yourself to feel and to not feel whatever it takes for you in each moment to heal like do that and don't feel guilty about it I I think that's really good advice for people who are going with something or going through something that's outside of their control. It's so easy to look to social media or just like look to like the people around you and your friend group and like try to match the highs and lows that everyone's experiencing. And like emotionally, that's so draining and like non-serving for us because you're essentially like hiding a portion of you that you don't need to, you know, mm -hmm. like, and my, my sister says that to me all the time. That's interesting. Like, I, it's okay if I feel however I feel, like if you feel angry, be angry, you know, just like it's, it's just having a good support system around you. Who's accepting of that. And they don't feel like their worth or relationship is strained because of how you're feeling. Right. And I, I've been, I've been blessed with, with a very, very positive support group, like through everything that I've been through. Um, and that's, that's very important surround making sure you're surrounding yourself with, with the right people. And I think going through something like that, you also really learn who the true 
friends are, you know? Like, Definitely. I think that, yeah, you know, the people that stick with you through that, I, I think are are really, really valuable. Um, and it's, it's a lot like, you know, you, you sort of have to deal with the, the guilt of putting them through that, you know, even though you're the one that's experiencing the physical pain, like they, everything that they went through, like putting, putting them through that, putting your family and your friends through that experience with you mentally is, you know, that there can be some guilt that comes along with that. Um, but it's like you, you just have to keep pushing right and you you and just trust them you know yeah. that if they stay in your life you know it's yeah. not like they're gonna hold it against you right right and I think another important thing is um like uh I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with an elderly woman who had just been, uh, like declared cancer free as well. And, um, I, I found it very interesting when she was talking to me that she felt like her experience was almost less heartbreaking than mine because she, you know, talked about how she had already lived a good life. And, and I was so young when I was diagnosed and stuff. And, um, and then I've had other people tell me like, oh, my problems are nothing compared to like what you've been through. But the biggest thing that I learned from all of it is actually the opposite of that. Like, regardless of your age, your experiences, your pain, whether you feel like it's big or small, whether it's physical or emotional, whether it seems worse or better than somebody else's problems, like your pain if it's painful to you if it's important to you it's important Agreed. it's painful it's valid like you you have to allow yourself the grace to allow yourself the same grace that you give to other people and that's a that's a thing that i've really struggled with but i'm working on right um but i i think i think that's that's very important also not feeling guilty about about feeling sad or angry or not feeling those things when you feel like you should be feeling those things. Right. I have, I've had to work on allowing myself to do the things that I tell other people to do. Don't you love that? I'm so good at that too. Come to me for advice. I'm like Socrates. Like I'll give you, I'll give you the best advice that you've ever even heard of. You ask me how, if I'm taking that advice, uh, probably not. That's why you have a podcast. <laughs> right. I don't, yeah, it's not really for me. I'm, I'm self-developing all of you listening. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here for you and I'm providing entertainment. <laughs> Just of kidding. Course. I always do self-development and whatever, but we can't yeah. end the episode on a heavy note. So yeah. like we've given people like insight into dope sick. We've talked about your life. We've talked about how the hell you overcame everything that you have and some of the most important things to have in your life, like some of the essentials when people are around. But like, let's talk about someone in your life. I want to know about your boyfriend. I want to know how you guys met. Like, okay. give me the tea. <laughs> okay. So, um, his name is Chad and, uh, he's, we're long distance. We're both like from North Carolina, but you know, I, I travel a lot and, uh, even in North Carolina, we're about 
three and a half hours apart. So no matter where we are, we're long distance. So it's like, it's been, uh, it's been a journey, but we've, uh, let's see, April of 2020 is when we started talking, I think. So it's been a hot minute. We're, we're That's at three like three years, baby. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Say that out loud. It's 2023 yes. now. <laughs> yeah, man. I keep forgetting it's 2023. Um, yeah. So that was, um, we met through, okay. Funny story. So he went to college in Wilmington, which is where my acting studio is. So he graduated from UNC Wilmington. So we had a lot of mutual friends. Like we knew the same people. We were always in the same area. We never met never met each other like we would literally be like we could pinpoint times when we were in the same building and did That's not meet so weird yeah and so we like through social media like he had connected with me because he saw i was friends with like another actor from wilmington that he knew and so he like connected with me through instagram and we just sort of like developed like being friends and flirty um, it, it got to that at some point, but he was, okay, so he's 25. Okay. And I am, I'm 21. So he's about, but his birthday is a little sooner than mine. So he's a little over four years older than me. Okay. So at the time when we first started talking, I, I didn't, like, I didn't think he liked me because I was younger than him. I was obviously of age. I was of age. Everyone listening, <laughs> don't fucking come for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or don't come for him. Yeah, don't yeah. come for him. This is not Dane Cook situation. Moving on. <laughs> I was I was of age, but I was younger than him, so I didn't think I didn't think he liked me. But you right. know, then it started getting a little flirty, and then like we eventually met up, and you know, fell in love and all that cute stuff, whatever. Love. And um and yeah, he's he's great. Um, this is this is our little bracelet, and Scott. His initials Aww. and my initials, and I wear it every day. You guys are so cute. I hope that he listens to this and, like, here's his little shout-out. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Shout-out, Chad. He's the best. I almost yeah. called him Chaz. I'm glad you said his name. Shout-out, Chad. Yeah, yeah he, he hates his name. Um, Chad Aww. is – because everybody's, like, you know – The you Brads know, and Chads. Yeah, it's like he's a Chad. Chad is not a Chad. He's not, he's not your typical Chad. But that is his name, and he doesn't like it. So if that is any consolation. <laughs> um, how funny would it be if for Halloween you guys dressed up as a Chad and a Karen? You know oh what I God. mean? Like, imagine if your name was Karen. You guys would be kind of like the, like a nightmare couple. <laughs> I feel so, – I think about that sometimes. Like, I feel so bad for people with the name Karen. Like, it's not a bad name. It's a, it's a pretty name. But, like, you know, they get a bad rap. They do. They really do get a bad rap. Wait, <laughs> so I have on here that you're Gen Z because I'm older than you. I'm 27. So okay. – like one of my funniest things is when my nieces and nephews like 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 shit on me or like tell me something that's like so cringe that millennials do. So mm -hmm. I want to feel like I'm in the scoop. Can you tell me okay. and share with us like what's something cringe that millennials do so that I can likely stop doing it? <laughs> okay, so I'm sort of bridging. I'm I'm assuming I'm older than your nieces and nephews, so I'm sort of bridging the gap between. Actually, you're kind of like. The Yes, you're like two years older, so not by much. Oh, okay, okay. So we're all sort of okay. Hey, you're kind of I the same age. The only, the only like 
thing I can think of is is uh, people updating their relationship status on Facebook. Oh my I, god! I've never understood that. Like, like what? Oh my god. Well, what if, like, what do you mean you don't understand it? What if, what if, like, someone goes to, like, what if they can't find your Instagram because you're private, okay? So they're looking at your Facebook and they're like, oh, Elena is single. I'm going to slide into her DMs. Right. Um, like, what are your thoughts on that? This is why you're a millennial, right? Right, 100%. Because <laughs> if I can't find you, I'm coming for any social media, like, I can find you on. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, I mean, I think just, you know, just post a photo with your significant other. You don't have to. That is so funny. Status. Like, you know, and then, like, Snapchat filters, I think, should stay off of Facebook. Like, you know, maybe on the Facebook story or something, but like, you know, if you're taking, if you're taking a snap and you got like one of those, like, like filters, like Agreed. heavy filters that you can like, it's purposeful. You want people to know there's a filter right. there. Maybe, maybe don't. Maybe don't that. use Facebook. Maybe. Like I'm, I'm getting that message. Like maybe <laughs> just like stay off Facebook. Everybody stay off Facebook. No, no, I can't. I can't say that because that's the only thing like the the people my mom's age in my town use to mm -hmm. like keep up with me. So, you know, we got to we got to nice throw them a bone every now and then. We got a nice little community going on on my mom's Facebook page. So shout out Rebecca. <laughs> Ager. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen that in ages. <laughs> so what are you like, do you have any th projects next? We'll end with this. Like, do you have anything planned that you're in or excited about or anything you just want to plug towards the end of the episode? Yes. Um, okay. So, well, first of all, I'd like to plug my friends. So all the jewelry I have, all the, like most of the jewelry I have, like means something. So this is so this is my bracelet with Chad. This is a Morse code bracelet that his sister gave to me, Ooh. and it's, uh, it's beautiful, badass. That's like the Morse. Oh my code. god, I love it. I know she gave it to me for Christmas, and I love it. This is my JJA ring. So this is like me and my cousins, Jaden and Jordan. We're like super close. We always have been. And then we got like really close when I went through everything when I was 19. And um, I, yeah, I love them so much. So we all have a matching ring that we wear every day. And then this is a handcuff ring. Me and my best friend in the entire world, Alex, we met on set of Law and Order. So oh we God. got handcuff rings. I love that. We wear it every day. Yeah. So oh my God, that's so cute. I just got like a full-blown tour of your hands. I, I love it. I know. So yeah, so we, so Alex and I met on set of Law and & Order. And um, that's one thing that I want to plug, you know, watch, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen Law & Order. But if you want to see, watch season 22, I think. I think it's season 22 that just came out. I, I The latest the season. Yes. Uh, yes, I play the daughter of the lead detective, Detective Cosgrove, and um, yeah, so that's that's been fun little New York experience. I'm um, so excited! I'm a Law and Order buff. Dun, really? dun, 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 dun. Yes, like I grew up with the theme song. Like I 